Hello, and welcome to Forefront 360, where we have conversations at the intersection of the arts and Christian faith. Today, we bring you a discussion of one of our very favorite stories and movies, one that has been called perhaps the greatest animated film ever made. That is Studio Ghibli and Hayao Miyazaki's 2001 film, Spirited Away. This is a Japanese animated feature film following a 10-year-old girl named Chihiro, who, following her parents off a beaten path, ends up in the world of Kami, or the spirit dimension. She must find work in the witch Yubaba's giant palatial bathhouse in order to find a way to save her parents and return home. I'm your friend Rich Chrisman, and I have forefront friend Zach Ozinski here with me. How are you, Zach? Good. Happy to be here. I'm so excited to have Zach here in the studio in Rochester. Uh, forefront fans uh, might know. It's been a while since Zach's been on the mic. Yeah, it's been, it's been about a year. Oh, wow. Yeah, really? at, least, at least being in person, yeah. Wow. Well, we are so happy to have you. Um, it really is different. I've been doing some, you know, done some episodes over the, the remote recording, which mm-hmm. is great. Glad for that technology, but it's, it's so much better to have conversations in person. Yeah. Uh, so Spooted Away. Yeah. Such a good movie. Mm-hmm. You just said before we started recording, uh, Zach, you said you've maybe seen it like 20 times. Yeah. If, if I am close to 20 times, I wouldn't be surprised. Wow. That's awesome. I think I've probably seen it. This might've been my sixth time. That I watched, we just okay. watched the movie moments before recording this, so uh, it's really fresh, and we're we're so excited to talk about it. Before we even go any further, though, uh, I would like to recommend that if you are tuning into this episode, first of all, thank you. Uh, secondly, if you haven't yet watched Spirited Away, the film, you should pause this episode uh, and go watch it. It's a little bit over two hours long, I believe. Right? Mm-hmm. Um, not a huge commitment, you know, shorter than you know, a couple episodes back when we told you to watch all of Stranger Things up to season four. Uh, so this is a less of an ask. Uh, we promise it will be worth it. And then come back and participate in this conversation. It'd be awesome. Okay, Spirited Away. Those of you that are left, you know what we're talking about. So in to just to, you know, sprinkle some some beginnings here in 2017 the new york times rated the best films of the 21st century so far in 2017 so 17 years in and this is not by category just any any film from the 21st century so far and they ranked spirited away as the second best film period to come out in the 21st century in the first 17 years. I didn't know that. Yeah. I was actually looking into like whether or not Spirited Away had won any particular awards um, when I was, you know, thinking about watching this and I, that New York times thing popped up and I, I had not heard that either. And I was just really, uh, I, uh, it makes sense, but it also surprised me a lot because it's so, um, I feel like animated movies don't get the love that they deserve a lot of times. And I think particularly foreign movies, particularly foreign animated movies, because I think uh, in an at least in the U.S., I think there's kind of a stigma on anime, yeah. uh, which is going away pretty quickly, I think. Mm. But I remember when I was young in like the early 2000s, um, it was almost like there was only like, there was a specific type of person that like enjoyed Japanese animation 
Uh, and I think that's not, that's not true anymore. And I think a lot of the, um, I mean, in two thousands, like, I feel like a lot of those stereotypes came out of like Pokemon and Dragon Ball Z, yeah. which, you know, I haven't seen those things, so they might be great, but I think, uh, really? yeah, I haven't, but Miyazaki movies, a, a cut above, I think yeah. most other anime that I've seen, mm. but, um, mm. so let's just, let's just dive in. So we just watched it. We've seen it before, many times before. Mm-hmm. What's um? How are you feeling right now off of the viewing? Mm-hmm. Well, well, I always feel great after after watching Spirited Away. Great, specifically, I always feel really comforted, really reassured by that movie. Mm-hmm. Um, the first time that I watched Spirited Away, I bought the DVD for my sister Brianna oh. in 2010. Okay, and. That's about when I saw it too. Okay. Yeah. Okay. And I, I had memories of this movie because it was one of those movies that Cartoon Network would run at like one okay. in the morning. Okay. Yeah. Like that and Kiki's delivery service. Yeah. So if you like fell asleep watching TV, yep. you would wake up and Spirited Away would be on. But I had yeah. never seen the the full thing. And so I remember I bought it for my sister in the fall of 2010, but I had never seen it. Mm-hmm. And I was entering 10th grade at that point and okay. i was getting ready to move to a boarding school for the arts in in north carolina wow uh, north carolina school of the arts and a big moment for sure. yeah yeah and i remember i decided to to watch it two nights before i moved away and so i watched it and i was really like really mm. deeply moved and touched by this movie wow. Uh, so much so that I wanted to to watch it again the next evening. So I watched it while I folded my clothes while packing. Okay, yeah. And that became my tradition mm-hmm. for when I would come home from school. Because my school was only two hours away. Okay. So when I would come home and get ready to go back to school, I would throw on Spirited Away the night before while folding my nice. laundry. So that's, I love that's, that. that's how my, my relationship. Did you have like a the, TV in your room or did you in the living room? I was or? in the living room. Okay, cool. Yeah. So that, that, that began my relationship with Spirited Away. Interesting. So I love that. And, and I think, I think I carried that tradition more or less, at least through college, if not into yeah. grad school. Okay. That explains the 20 plus times too. <laughs> yeah, that's cool. I think, I think from the small amount that I understand about Miyazaki as a filmmaker I think he'd be very happy that that's your your experience (laughs) with it but I um so I have a similar but a little different uh history with it so my grandfather worked for Xerox here in Rochester big company here Xerox um the bearded away is produced on Eastman film really Mm -hmm. wow Rochester connections abound um, but so my grandpa, Joe Fantuzo, um, was an engineer for Xerox for a while. Uh, and then he was promoted to a position where he was a liaison, uh, when Xerox would start different engineering offices or, uh, or whatever they would call them in other countries. So he spent time in Hong Kong and Brazil and, uh, Japan, and he spent not, not an extended time necessarily like, you know start to finish but he went to japan frequently over the period of of about 10 years and he got kind of immersed in that in that culture for a while so when i was a young kid he was kind of right off of his japanese era or whatever we want to call that and he brought home a vhs tape of my neighbor totoro 
which is a Studio Ghibli movie. Um, and so I associated Totoro and the whole kind of aesthetic that I had later in life came to realize is like the Miyazaki canon or like the Ghibli movies. I associated that whole thing, which is not only a visual aesthetic, but like a, a musical aesthetic and just like um, anybody who's watched these movies, right? Like the peacefulness and the space that he creates in his movies. So all of that um, I associated with my grandpa. So, but I had only seen Totoro and I had seen um, Nausicaa, which is another one of his films. And um, when I was a child, then in college, I was taking a class on design. It was an upper level visual communication design class where we were talking about uh, our professor was really into animation. And this is one of the most influential classes I've ever taken. And I didn't think it would be at the time, but because of that particular professor, Nate Mucha, hopefully you're listening. Um, he was very passionate about the history of animation. Hmm. We talked about the different animators in the Disney world and how like there were all these different eras of Disney. And we talked about, he taught us about uh, the fascinating way that uh, Tim Burton was hired by Disney to animate films, but they wouldn't let him animate the way he wanted. And then he pitched them the nightmare before Christmas and they turned him down and then he went and made it on his own. And it was an international masterpiece, but uh, interesting stuff. But anyway, we started talking about spirited away this movie that I hadn't seen. Um, didn't realize, didn't put two and two together that it was the creative Totoro, um, and Nausicaa. And so me and a couple other people from my dorm, uh, we rented the movie and watched it in our dorm. And it was kind of late at night when we watched it. And it kind of like you said, actually, like I'm not exaggerating in this, actually a formative experience for me. Like I feel like there are a few movies that I've seen that change the way that I think about movies. And Spirited Away is one of them. Where my, my attitude toward what I look for in a movie now, it was actually changed hmm. to some degree by it. And if I had to put my finger on why, yeah. and, and I figured it out more, like I've pulled it apart over the years, but I think if you had asked me like the next day, like why I enjoyed it so much, it was because I've never seen quite like Spirited Away. I haven't seen very many movies ever that take such attention to creating beautiful moments. Hmm. I've seen a lot of movies that have beautiful moments in the story or beautiful moments in the scene, like in a, a, a live action shot or in an animated scene, um, a panel or beauty in score or, or, you know, all sort or whatever. But Spirited Away, in every single moment of the entire two-plus-hour movie, all those facets of beauty are present meticulously in every scene. And I think that I had... It was just like... I had never seen that amount of care taken to almost like... I feel like what they did when creating that this movie is almost like creating a space. Like... It, each scene is like a space that you can live in. There's sound and image and character and, you know, the food looks amazing in the bathhouse. Yeah. So that, that, um, and then the, the way that I connected to you, uh, your story as well is because the times that I've watched spirited away that has been the most impactful to me since then has been when I have not 
been able to sleep or whatever in the middle of the night, I used to have a TV in my room until kind of recently. And I would watch Spirited Away in like the wee hours of the morning mm-hmm. and often fall asleep to it. Yeah. And like such a peaceful movie to fall asleep to as well. Yeah. But yeah, so special, close to my heart. Yeah. Yeah. Talking about like, would you agree with me that like just that assessment on like the way that like beauty just radiates off of it? What would you say about that? Yeah. The, the image that comes to my mind from the movie there is the, the moment after Haku comes and wakes her up after her okay. like sleepless first night yes. and tells her, meet me at the bridge. I'll take you to okay, your parents. Yeah, yeah. She goes back down to the basement where, where Kamaji is sleeping. Mm-hmm. And she said, where did my shoes and socks go? Yeah. And the soot balls, soot sprites come and bring her her shoes. And she, she takes her socks in her hand. She doesn't put on her socks, but she puts on her shoes Hmm. And she lightly, he, she gets the, her left shoe on and she taps her toes against the ground just to make sure that the shoe is all snug on her foot. And it's just that little detail that shows that like, she's this maybe eight year old girl getting her shoes on, not tying her shoes. And as she runs towards the door, she has her socks in her left hand. Interesting. Yeah. 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 That's so, Yeah. I, uh, when, yes, the, 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 yeah. <laughs> in that space too, when I remember the, it's funny you bring that up because I, I think a good example in that same scene of what I'm talking about too is when we first meet Kamaji, it's a stressful and frightening scene. She's gone down to the bottom of the bathhouse, like the depths of the bathhouse. And there's this spider limbed creature down there that she has to get a job from right and it's hot and there's like steam and and you know and he's yelling and all sorts of stuff and the his limbs can grow to ridiculous (laughs) lengths it's very unnerving um and then in that scene when she comes back down to that room and it's the early morning and there's like a dawn light streaming Mm. in there and whatever it feels like that space which not a real space, completely drawn, right? Feels totally different, completely toothless, like a like a, yes. a calm, comforting space where like it's she goes down to get her shoes. Exactly, yeah. and I think we underestimate as consumers of media a lot of time. We we really like underestimate how much intentionality and effort it takes to make that change, you know, because that's created with you know, lighting and shape and, you know, and all these things. And I don't know, it just blows my mind that like, you know, that that could just be created from scratch. Like the idea for the space, the look of it, the feel, right. it's just, just awesome. Yeah. And it's different because now that she has returned to that space, that space is now filled with people who she knows and people yeah. who she's friends with. When yeah. she, when she leaves the door, she looks back behind her and the soot sprites are hopping up and down yeah, to say like, goodbye. Yay! And she waves, yeah. she waves back at them yes. smiling. Yes, that's so true. And Kamaji is terrifying in the first time you see him. Yeah. And he's like, like a grandpa figure by yes. like two thirds <laughs> of the way through the movie. Finish what you started, yeah. human. I love that line. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But think about that too. Just like the, like the, 
idea of like she she has to finish what she started. Yes. You can you can drag that out for the whole plot. You know, like she's yeah. You know, uh, oh, there's so many layers of depth here. Um, <laughs> but so okay, so let's talk. So I feel like the parts of beauty, right? We got the visual beauty of it for sure. We have the um, the story is beautiful in itself, mm-hmm. right? So if you had to say like what other than that that brief summary I gave in the beginning, right, of the arc of the plot. Like, what would you have to say? Like, what is what is this movie about to you? Like, what is the message? Wow. So, one thing about speaking like this about a piece of art that you love is that the emotions that we experience with pieces of art like this mm-hmm. are so deeply embedded in our hearts. Sure. And they're so... We feel them so deeply. Mm-hmm. And... In a sense, they're very abstract. So finding words for them is hard. It, it's, it's, yeah. yeah. The thing that keeps coming to my mind is that Chihiro didn't know how brave she was until she had to be that yeah. brave. Yeah. And through, like, through this story, she is constantly putting the well being of others in front of her own mm-hmm. when she let's see when she decides to go look for Haku when mm-hmm. everybody else is going to get gold from no face yeah yeah when she offers her river spirit medicine to Haku which she needs to save her parents which she needs yeah. to save her parents and when she does the same thing to no face who wants to eat her mm-hmm. and presumably she has no clue of how she'll save her parents afterwards right. but she knows that it's right to, it's, to it's help what must be done yeah That's yeah cool. so yeah something about chihiro and watching the transformation of her heart in these you know being a person in a foreign strange land yeah and having to do all of these things for the sake of love mm-hmm. that that that's the for the first thing that comes to my mind and yeah. again as i explain as i articulate these things it will probably be a little messy sure, trying to get yeah. them all I together mean, but there's so much in this movie i feel like we yeah. could like like we can't hope to actually untangle all the strands that make up this beautiful movie. Mm. But so something you said before I kind of answer that same question, something you said reminded me of a quote that I found while I was looking into some stuff about the movie. Mm. Um, so a, a journalist for vice that was talking about this movie um, said uh, this quote, Disney movies touch the heart, but studio Ghibli films touch the soul. Mm. Mm hmm. And I thought of that because based on what you just said, like, I feel like that stands out to me because it is like, uh, like what's the difference between a movie touching your heart and touching your soul? I feel like Mm. this, like, I feel like spirited away has, like you said, where it's difficult to find words for what you feel. Mm -hmm. I feel like what spirited away uh, touches or awakens like in me is something that I is so like deep in who I am internally that it's hard for me to even locate it in myself. Whereas when something touches your, like a story touches your heart, 
it's pretty obvious. Like you can feel like, oh, that's touching. Mm. Touches my heart, right? Wow. You can pull it apart. But I feel like this movie is, again, so, I, maybe it's because it's so layered. It's so honest. Like it's so human. Mm-hmm. It's also deeply spiritual as well. But I think that it does feel like, oh, that like tugged on my soul in some way. Yes. So I thought that was a cool uh, description. But if I had to say like what this movie is about, I think what I would say is that the the biggest like transformation that I see in the movie is um, Chihiro's characterization in the beginning is she's very nervous and almost like whiny. I mean, she is whiny and she's very nervous and, you know, uh, but she shows courage in doing what has to be done after her parents are yeah. are turned into pigs. However, by the end of the movie, not even the end, by, you know, two-thirds of the way through, really when she confronts No-Face at the bathhouse, from that point on, Mm. she is, like, completely collected and confident. Like, she faces No-Face with very little fear, um, and then she goes through the remainder of the climax of the movie... um, Almost, and and it's not like she doesn't know that there's risk. It's that she knows that there's no point in being scared about it. There's no point in being nervous. Mm. And and like I'm sure that like I just think it's a really interesting character development for a character that is that young. Where yes, she and and in the very end of the movie, they deliver that line as they're driving away. Like the dad who remembers nothing about what happened, right? Says like, "Oh, we're moving to a new neighborhood and a new school. I'm sure it's going to be okay." And she says, "I'm sure I can handle it." Yeah. You know, and it's like the, it's not that moving to a new school is not frightening, yeah. but she knows she can handle it now. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's a, a cool development. Um. Yeah, like fa- facing down great adversity because that's just what you have to do sometimes. Yes. And, and I, you know, Miyazaki builds a world where Chihiro is really, really distinct because when you think about it, there's a lot of ugliness around Chihiro yes. in this world. There's greed, there's selfishness, there's the the filth that is left behind yeah. by the, by the river spirit. Mm-hmm. There's the separation of the classes in the, yes. the hierarchy in the bathhouse. Yes. feels very dirty to me too. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Lynn getting assigned the big time and her response is that's frog work. Exactly. Yes. Yeah. And, and the, the servitude that the slavery that they're in yes. with they they need to work one of the rules set at the bathhouse right is if you don't have a job you baba will turn you into an animal yes. so you you have to work yeah. for her to live mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. oh and they're in they're they're imprisoned too because they remember the they're all trying to get train tickets to yes. get out right yeah interesting well maybe not all but yeah. lynn is for sure yeah so so i think it's really significant that you bring up her age and the fact that she's a child and so much of what makes Chihiro really stand out in this world and what makes her really beautiful is that she's so, she trusts like a child trusts. Ah, yeah. She trusts that Haku is good when everybody else groans and rolls their eyes about yeah. Haku. Yeah. She has, uh, hmm. you could maybe even say she has maybe the resolve of, of a, like of a determined yeah. child. Mm-hmm. 
Um, but she's also really, she's also very sensitive. She can see the needs of, of those around her. Like when the, when they've, when they're starting to try to get the stink spirit out Mm -hmm. of the big tub Mm -hmm. and she says, Oh, there's a thorn in his side. I think he needs help. Yeah. Yeah. And then once she gets that resolve, she like can't be stopped. Yeah. Like once she knows that's what has to be done. Yeah. You know, that's cool. And that her seeing that spirits needs then galvanizes the rest of the the people that she's working with they all get you know you know they're being led by yubaba who wants to just you know get the gold out of the um but she starts having an effect on on her environment as well it's it's a it's a really kind of redemptive illustration yes and and she redeemed wow i didn't even think about this actually she not saying that chihiro necessarily is a christ figure but she redeems the whole bathhouse in the way that she like remember in the beginning they like think that she stinks of human and they don't want to work with her. Yes. And then in the end they're cheering against Yubaba that yes. she would, you know, uh, get what she wants and get away. Yes. Um, which is so cool. <laughs> yeah. When they're like, yay, you got it in the end when she wins the, the bet. It's great. Um, Baba, shut up. <laughs> yeah, yeah, so insane. And and the other thing too, which we can talk about a little bit more later if we get time. But the first time I saw it, even though I was like absolutely struck by the beauty of it, the first time I saw it, a lot of the the like design of characters and the animation style was like jarring to my Western sensibilities. Um, and now that I've seen it a number of times, like that, I'm totally like acclimated to that now. But I think the first time I ever watched it, like I was very weirded out by like, um, like the bouncing heads, yes, like you're, you're, or whatever, and the um, <laughs> and like the art of Yubaba is very strange. Yes, like she's just like ninety percent head, you know, and like yes. whatever. Um, and but I think like as I've like grown in my understanding of things, um, I actually I actually love the fact that, I mean, I don't think. I don't think uh, Studio Ghibli was making the film with international audiences in mind, maybe at first. Mm-hmm. Um, but like, but even if they weren't, I like that they leaned as authentically as they did into Japanese aesthetics and Japanese myth. Yes, like like you and I were just talking while we were watching it about the um, the soot spirits or whatever, and yes. like you mentioned that 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 is seen in other. Uh, Ghibli films and also is like rooted in Japanese folklore, which is really cool. And mm-hmm. the um, I've read some Japanese, well, actually, weird context, but I've read some Japanese f- ghost stories. Okay. Um, and the the like the floating disembodied heads motif is a big thing in Japanese mm. uh, tales. Like the um, a lot of spirits are are described as disembodied faces. Um, which we see in the um, the river spirit as well. After oh, she, yeah. when he says like, what does he say? Well, well, done. well done. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, very cool. Um, such a cool Love scene. That part. <laughs> so before we get into like the real meat of it, even though we already did, but just to like move past the initial beauty, right? We haven't even talked yet about what might even be like the most beautiful part of this of the the pillars of this film, which is the music. 
Mm. What, I mean, you're a, a musically trained fellow. What do you like? I mean, I can speak to what I think about the music, but it, it's from a completely layman's perspective. What would mm. you say about the music of this movie? Yeah, the. I mean, one thing that you pointed out while we were watching it is how well incorporated the music is into the action that's on screen. And yeah, yeah I, th- I think that's something that we this- noticed that when she's going creeping down the stairs the first yes. time to go to the boiler man yes. and the music is following her steps down the stairs. Yeah, it's cool. It's all the string pizzicato. Yeah, yeah. So, so that's that's my first thought. Yeah. The the other thing that's things that come to mind is, you know, listening to some of it. Some of it's really sentimental, but it it never feels too much in no. that sense. It, it feel it, it, it again. It kind of taps into that the the way that this film is able to kind of go past the barriers of our hearts yeah. and kind of get into these aching places uh of our hearts yeah i i feel that very much yeah when the the, that beautiful scene when haku and chihiro are sitting in the garden after chihiro has seen her her parents as as pigs and Aku brings her her clothes. He remembers her name and he brings her enchanted food that'll bring back her strength. And And that's when she first cries, right? And that's when she just breaks down into tears. And we hear this really, it's her tears are preceded by this kind of high, sweet flute melody. And then she breaks down as the piano plays this really melancholic kind of pastoral reflective melody. You know, pastoral is actually a great word for a lot of, I feel like the like vibe of it as well, Mm -hmm. because I, uh, again, not, not musically trained. So this might come off a little clumsy, but the, um, other than like, the kind of bigger, like more booming or more triumphant uh, part of the score when we're first introduced to the bathhouse and there's that, that like, dun, 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 part, like yes. that, like while that. They're, while they're like running. Yeah, 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 yeah which yeah. is super cool. But like that piece kind of aside, I feel like the rest of the music, especially the piano-driven mm-hmm. parts, um, just this like solo piano, you know, I think it's very... um it's music you can like live in if that makes sense. Like it's very like, mm. it's not, it, it doesn't fade into the background obviously. Cause like right. we, we notice it. Right. But it's also not in your face. I guess what I mean by that is I feel like it just, it almost feels like it's naturally occurring. Yes. You know, yeah, if that a, makes sense, a, like it exists good, yeah. in the space, you know, it's just, I don't mm-hmm. know, just, yeah. Um, but very, very good. And I'm very happy to see that uh, for a while I couldn't find the, score on spotify but zach just you know informed me that it could be found and we just listened to it uh before recording so you know really life is getting better and better but um so you mentioned i'd love to talk about so other than beauty which is something that you know forefront loves to talk about but we also talk about the intersection of uh art and christian faith and i so i i'd be remiss not to talk about the obvious spiritual themes in the movie now, 
I use the word spiritual on purpose because I would not, uh, I think it would be foolish to, to assert that there are like overtly Christian themes in this movie. I don't think that there are, uh, personally. However, this movie I think is an awesome example of where spiritual truth can, truths can be found outside of things that are historically Christian. Mm. Now, before people's red flags go up, what I mean by that is God cre- is the Lord of all things, creator of all things, mm. and much of God's truth, like Paul says in Scripture, that um, the creation testifies of the existence of God, right? The existence of the spiritual and the creator. Mm. I think that any human culture outside of outside of any connection to like Holy Scripture or whatever is also beholden to the reality of the spiritual world mm. created by God as well. And I think that spiritual truths can be found in places like Spirited Away. And I think that's mm. one of the reasons why it resonates so much with me because it's a deeply spiritual movie and it's a deeply truthful movie, but it's not one where like growing up as an evangelical Christian, I often find things that are very spiritual and very truthful to also be very predictable. Like it's very like, mm. this is a Christian narrative. Anybody who understands mm. the, you know, anyone who is remotely churched is going to pick up on the fact that this is a Christian narrative, mm. but spirited away is not a Christian narrative, but that doesn't make it any less true. Mm. And I think that's super cool. Mm. So I want to talk about that. Yeah. Um, do you have any reactions to that? Do you agree? Am I crazy? <laughs> yeah, I, I think he said not yes to you being crazy. I think he said oh, that yeah. very well. No, oh, thank you. <laughs> I think so. You mentioned before I forget about it. You mentioned the um, scene where Haku, who is a dragon, right? And he's we find out later. Yeah. Again, if you didn't watch it, stop listening right now. <laughs> okay, if you find out later that he's a river spirit, right? Um, the he can do magic. He brings the magical food that will restore Chihiro. Um, a cool scene. But I also recall he, as soon as Chihiro passes into the spirit world, she starts to become see-through. Mm. And her parents have been turned into pigs, so whatever. But she's a human. She starts to become see-through, and her hand, she's struggling against him, and her hand passes through his body like she's a ghost. And he quickly pulls out some food and says, here, eat this. You have to eat food of this world or you'll disappear. Mm-hmm. And I, I'm i not going to say this stuck out to me the first time I watched it because it didn't. But after experiencing this movie a couple times, it now really like struck, strikes me a lot. The idea that and in many um, religious traditions or mythological traditions, there's this idea that like, what we put into our body mm. like becomes us. And we know that's scientifically true as well, mm. you know, ultimately. Uh, and then we have you are, we eat and all that stuff. But the, I find it like beautifully um, Eucharistic to borrow a Catholic term. But the fact that like in, we have like in the, in the Passover narrative in Exodus, we have the order to the Hebrew people, right? Is to sacrifice an unblemished lamb. And paint the doors with the lamb's blood, and then eat the lamb, right? right. And then in the um, 
in communion, right? Jesus says that you have to eat this spiritual food and drink this spiritual blood in order to be united with him in spirit. So I actually love that it's so, it gives me like shivers to think about the resonance in this story that like if she wants to exist in the spiritual world, she has to eat the food of the spirit. Mm. And I'm like, that's so like interesting, you know, but then also if you eat the food of the spirit wrongly, right, the spiritual food wrongly, it is a curse upon you. Wow. Yeah. Because like it says in scripture, because Uh in the story, the parents eat the spiritual food and they're turned into pigs. So it's just very interesting. And they eat it greedily, yeah. whereas she eats it to survive, to find life. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. So cool. Wow. Um, the other connection that really like stood out to me in particular is another line from, oh, Haku's got all the best lines. Um, another Haku line is he's explaining to her later that she needs to remember her name. Her name is Chihiro, but she's, re, she's renamed Sen by Yubaba the witch who rules the bathhouse Um, when she signs a contract to work at the bathhouse. Yubaba physically removes her signed name off the paper, like magically, and then renames her Sen. And Haku says, you have to remember your real name. He gives her a paper with her name on it because he says, that's how Yubaba controls you. She makes you forget your name. Mm -hmm. And that really... Yeah. reached out to me as well because if we believe that God created each and every one of us and we um like he wants us to ultimately return to this edenic state of like communion with him right he created us he knows who we are intimately he knit us together in our mother's womb right but we are deceived like when we bind ourselves to the world by our actions and our sin nature and stuff, we're deceived that we are someone else. And God is like, look, this is who you are. I made you like this. But when we're deceived and tempted, we get a new name, like our, our like worldly name, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I'm going deep in metaphor here, right? But we get like a new quote unquote name at when we kind of bind ourselves to the world. And then we forget who we really are. And I feel like that's where Satan's power comes from. Like if you think about the... Uh, deception in the garden story right like if eve had just remembered who she was like god created adam he created her out of adam's bone and he and they had god's breath in them to give them life and then the serpent was like come on like that's not enough like you can take this forbidden thing and you can be like him they're like yeah you don't want that name he gave you there's a better one you know, and it's not like Yubaba um, seduced her into changing her name, but I I liked the um, I just liked the idea that like if we know who we really are, who God created us to be, and we're rooted in that, it will be easier for us to remember, like, or to walk in the truth of who we are. And I think that's cool. Yeah, so in that same vein, I think the character that comes to my mind is No Face. Yeah, we can't not talk about No Face. <laughs> and how No Face is kind of this 
blank slate. He doesn't really have a personality of his own. No one knows where he comes from. And he comes to this bathhouse and he meets Chihiro. Mm -hmm. And so he comes into contact with these two very different, uh, I don't know the word for it. Uh, There's the bathhouse, which is full of greed yeah, and is full of selfishness and corruption. And there's Chihiro, who is very... She's full of honesty. Yeah, she's full of honesty. She's very selfless. Mm -hmm. She's very compassionate. And we learned about No-Face that he doesn't have a family. He doesn't have friends. He's very lonely. Mm -hmm. And the only way he understands how to commune with other people is to consume them Mm -hmm. essentially. And so we see that he learns that the people of the bathhouse want gold. So he starts making them gold and then he eats them. Yeah. And it turns him into this horrible monster who's never fully, never fully sated. Yeah. And yes, he gets hungrier yes. as the more he consumes. Yes, yeah, wow. it's, it's like uh, it's like Ungoliant in the in the Silmarillion. <laughs> Anyways, uh, <laughs> you like that, Nate? <laughs> <Not yet. laughs> and so we see Chihiro facing off with him at his at his worst moment, where he's eaten several people in the bathhouse. He's eaten copious amounts of food. Yeah. And, Sen, and now he's this big gurgling monster. Exactly. Yeah. And it's, excuse me, Chihiro now needs to get him out of the bathhouse, essentially. And he's pleading with her, Chihiro, take this gold, take this gold. Yeah. And because she asks him, what is it that you want? And he yeah. says, I want Sen. Yeah. I want Sen. Yeah. And... Chihiro doesn't give him what he wants, but instead she sacrifices medicine that she's saving for her parents, which ultimately saves him. Mm-hmm. She um, gives him what he really needs. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And as no face continues to follow Chihiro, we see him kind of return to his original kind of neutral state state of of loneliness and um as he follows chihiro to the swamp bottom and to yubaba's home we see that he's in the presence of these gentler people he's formed into something that is gentle himself and formed into something loving Um, and it's almost insinuated too. like, this isn't clearly stated, but I feel like it's insinuated too that, that loving, neutral, non-threatening state is his preferred state. Mm -hmm. And like, he's certainly not happy when he's like, as he's consuming, Yeah, he looks uglier and uglier to us, but like, he also is more and more unhappy, you know? And, and like, that's, that's interesting too. And the part when he says, um, when he switches, like he's speaking through the voices of the people that he's consumed, yes. which is a whole thing in itself. But the fact that when he says, uh, she, I forget exactly what the line is, but like, she's trying to talk to him about what he wants and whatever. And at one point he turns away from her and like kind of bends over. And that's when he says, I'm so lonely. 
And I remember, and like the voice, like you can hear that, like he's been just trying to like buy, like he gets almost like snarky when he's talking to them before he gets like cocky. He's giving them all the money and like he's being rude to the, to the um, people in the bathhouse. And then when he turns and addresses his, his deep need, mm-hmm. he's totally like disarmed. Like, yeah. and I think that's a cool analogy for us as well. You know? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's a real like, illustration of our hearts mm-hmm. and just how vulnerable they are to lies and to sin, but also how malleable they are by things like grace and like mm-hmm. selfless love. And in the end, no face becomes something capable of love, but not by consuming yeah. anything, no. but by being shown it. Yeah. and by being like i love that he gets what he wants or or not what he wants that sounds bad he like his deep need is filled not by like not by you know buying people's favor and also not by getting like when i want sen like he doesn't get sen in the end he gets what he really needs uh which is like friendship and a home and whatever in uh, Zaniba's cottage where she's yes. like dude where did you learn how to weave so well you're great at this and he's like Ooh. yeah so that, that's I love that eating, scene he's sitting and eating cake and oh, drinking yeah. and then tea. when they're talking I love that scene when they're talking and then yeah. in the side like he's not even like part of the conversation yeah. he's just happily like eating cake and yeah. drinking a little teacup and it's like even the way that he's this might sound silly but like even the way that he's eating food yeah in the two different places in the yes, bathhouse yes. he is stuffing his face yes. and throwing gold at mm-hmm. everyone yes and in the in zaniba's cottage he's sitting quietly yes. cutting his slice of cake mm-hmm. sipping his tea yep. very very gentlemanly very yeah 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 <laughs> yeah it's so interesting yeah. yeah and you also noticed you pointed this out as we were watching it as well that he in the first scene when he's like um when he starts consuming people and he starts uh speaking in their voices. The first time he sees Chihiro, he offers her stuff in his uh, original voice. Like the right. first time. He does talk to her later, but the first time he encounters her, um, he does his like kind of like uh, uh, sound, mm-hmm. um, which like I thought was pretty cool because he's like, at first he's trying to reach her yeah. in his natural mean mm-hmm. and then when that doesn't work then he's like oh i'm gonna try this and um, yeah, yeah, yeah yeah but um incredible too i read um just while looking into some stuff before this conversation i also read that when they started writing this movie they didn't know like they were like halfway through the writing of this movie and didn't know how it was going to end yet uh-huh. which is so interesting wow. to me because <laughs> normally especially on this podcast i feel like normally when we talk about great stories one of the reasons why we like one of the litmus tests that we use for a great story is like things like harry potter or like lord of the rings or whatever that we have like really fawned over in the past on this show we are so impressed by the fact that the ending was thought of and you know sprinkled away to the beginning but in this story one of the beauties of it is I think that that's not the case. And I think one of the reasons why that's nice narratively is because the movie unfolds with a very realistic pace. 
Mm. Like, it's not like it's just built like a lot of um, Western narratives, um, not like cowboy Western, like Western culture. Um, they expand like they um, what's the term in music crescendo. They they um, they <laughs> could the uh, the alligator. They um, no, but they they like crescendo to this climax, you know, yeah. the, the Freytag's triangle, if you will. And I feel like this story has multiple peaks throughout it there are mm. many points of climax and the ending isn't even the biggest climax like i would say like the yeah. um whereas like the typical western story structure right you go up 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 then there's this massive conflict and then we roll down in this story it's more like a a, a mountain range where there's multiple little peaks and valleys throughout the narrative yeah. which is much more reflective on what our life actually looks like i think right right um, which I think is really cool. Yeah. And it's like Chihiro gets her parents back in the end. Yeah. But that's really like, I remember being really surprised my first watch through that Chihiro doesn't just collapse sobbing into her parents' arms. It's really one of the less momentous moments of, of the movie. Yeah, it, it really is. And it's almost like, and it's not just because she's like grown beyond her need for them because I don't think that's, that's the case. I think it's just like, yeah, it's it's interesting that though. I don't really know why exactly that resonates with me, but that's cool. You know, kind of the last thing I just want to touch on is the fact that uh and this is true of Ghibli movies outside of Spirited Away as well, but one thing that um just is so unique to them that is just I don't see it in a lot of other movies is we talked about this that we like paused the movie a couple times to like look at these things. The attention to the creation of moments of pause in the movie where, um, I mean, the most obvious example that I can think of is when there's the tremendous rainstorm in the scene when the, the monster comes that ends up being the river spirit after that scene. Um, they're either going to bed or waking up in the morning, Lin and Sen and Urchi hero rather. And Shiro says, oh my gosh, like it looks like a sea. There's so much water. It looks like a sea. And there's a scene there where the the camera, so to speak, right, just stops on this expanse of water. It's just like it's so um, refreshing because we're so used to movies, especially now. Movies are like move it at like a breakneck pace. Like, you know, it's actually like there's an exercise that I've seen high school teachers do that are teaching film. Um, that if like students take like a piece of paper with like a tally board, right. And tally every time the camera changes in a five minute sequence. And it's shocking how many, Mm -hmm. you know, like the camera is only in one position when you're watching a movie for like a couple seconds max, you know, even in a conversation scene, like if you and I are in a movie right now, two people talking to each other, the camera's going to constantly move back and forth between us. And, in Miyazaki films, that's not the case. Like, there are scenes where the camera just sits, like, and we see, like, um, one of the scenes that was particularly moving to me, this watch through, was when they're sitting on the train driving out to, what is it, Swamp Bottom or something? Swamp Bottom. Swamp Bottom, yeah. Swamp Bottom, Six, yeah. Sixth stop. Sixth stop, yeah. <laughs> so they're going out to Swamp Bottom, whatever, and she tells No Face to sit next to her on the bench on the train. And the 
camera just stops and you just got a still scene with the background out the window going behind them, the yes. water, and you just got the three of them sitting there. And then, um, uh, or I guess the four of them, the little bird and the, and the <laughs> mouse. But anyway, and then the, and then after that scene, the camera switches and you get this real time passage of a little house on an Island yes. with, um, clothes out on the line as the train's going by and that scene, the passing of the house happens in real time, you know, and it's, and I feel like our brains are just like put at peace by these sequences, you know, and uh, yeah, it's just really refreshing. Very cool. So there's so many, there's like so many powerful scenes. What is, if you had like one favorite scene in the whole movie, what would it be? It's definitely the the scene where they're taking the train to oh yeah Swamp Bottom. Yeah, okay. S- something about for for one, there's no dialogue in in that scene, mm-hmm. and mu- musically, I really love the music. Mm-hmm. I yeah. find it very. I find it embodies the moment of the film very well. In that Chihiro is has found herself sitting on a train next to a nameless spirit and a mouse and a little insect bird thing, yeah, yeah. and she's going off to as the only thing she knows about where she's going is that it's the sixth stop and it's the home of a very dangerous witch, according to Kamaji, right. And she, there's this close up on her face where she's just looking forward to where she's going. And you can see her reflection in the window behind her. Yes. And she just looks so steadfast and so resolved in spite of the circumstances that she's, she's found herself in. And... I've just always found that to be a really moving yeah. part of the movie and all the stuff that happens around it in that scene too. Like you said, the shots of the houses that are these islands in the water mm-hmm. uh, and the neon lights that are going past the train as yeah. the, as the sky gets darker and all of yeah. the kind of shadow spirits that are taking their luggage off the train. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I find that it's a really profound and in a really like kind of quiet way. Um, yeah. And, and I, I love Swamp Bottom too. Just yeah. everything, everything about, about everything yeah. about how just tender and gentle and quiet it is. I love the lamp that greets them. Yes. I love... It's the opposite of the bathhouse in so many ways. Exactly. You're yeah. actually greeted at Zaneva's house. Mm-hmm. Uh, I love the music. The, there's a humility to it as yeah. well. Well, yeah. she even says... I forget the line, but I was laughing at it where she was like joking about how tacky her sister's place is. <laughs> yeah. But... Yeah. um. So yeah. that that's just me being a fanboy. I love Swamp Bottom as well. Great. But, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I think mine if I have a favorite scene and it's kind of hard to put a, my finger on, but 
because I don't really know why, like, like it's a, it's an uncomfortable scene too, but like maybe it's because of how satisfying it is. I don't know. My favorite scene I think is when they're in the bathhouse and she, um, and Shihiro is able to clean the, what they think is the massive stink monster, um, and free the river spirit and something about like the, I don't like the animation is just incredible to the point where, so first of all, I really like the, like, I feel like that's one of the peaks in that mountain range we're talking about where it's like, she like does what she knows is right. Like not only getting this, the, uh, she gets more water and she gets the thorn out of his side and all that stuff. It's super cool. And nobody else can do it. Everyone's afraid of it. I think that's really cool. But something about that scene too, from like a artistic perspective, um, I almost feel like you can like feel the spa in that scene. Like, 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 and I can't even, like I'm saying, I can't even put my finger on what it is, but like, I feel like whenever I watch that scene, like I can almost feel the steam. Like I feel like I'm in the bathhouse like this, that you got like the steam and the hot water. And like, they're describing how like she's using these bath tokens to get these like herbal, like special waters or whatever. And like the waters are like, discolored and there's like steam and and the people can there's like smells being depicted in the air and like i don't know something about it like i feel like there's that scene is just like so sensory and i just i just really like that scene yeah i just feel like there's so many reasons that we touched on of like why this movie is so like enduring and why uh you know people like the new york times say it's one of the very best you know right this sounds like a cliche and maybe it is and maybe i'm still just working this thought out but it feels like Chihiro and Chihiro's experience, like Chihiro is someone that we all want to be at some level. Yeah. We want to be tested. But, well, well, we don't necessarily want to be tested, but when the time comes for our Testing. heart to be challenged mm-hmm. and for adverse circumstances to, to, to come to us, we want to be Chihiro. We want to be... Yeah resilient we want to find joy but we also want the the company of the friendship that she finds in these adverse places yeah um so there's i I feel like there's there's desire there for who chihiro is but i think there's there's also i remember the first time i watched the ending of this movie Mm. and Chihiro and Haku are both finally free. They have their names back. And Chihiro is going back to the spirit world. Haku is going to quit his job as Zaniba's right. uh, as uh, Yubaba's apprentice. Yeah. And they have to say goodbye to each other. Mm-hmm. And there's that aching shot of them holding their hands. And then it's just their hands against these stone steps and their hands part each other. And there's this breaking of their communion with each other. Mm-hmm. And I remember that just breaking my heart the first time I watched yeah. it. And yeah. it, it, it that like that scene hurts me every time. And I think uh-huh. we can all in our hearts have lived that breaking of relationship, that sure. breaking of communion Sure. Um, I mean, if we wanted to bring that into the spiritual realm as well about just our, our breaking of fellowship of communion with the Lord in our falling into sin, right? Not experiencing 
the closeness with God. God is like our, our father as it was made to be. Yeah. Um, so I think there's this aching just in the human heart for that perfect communion, that perfect relationship. Yeah. That perfect knowing love. Absolutely. That's so good. If you haven't seen Spirited Away, well, you've, Basically, yeah, you've, you've got a lot it. No, of spoilers. No, no you got to see it. No, listening to, if you're a loyal listener and you listen to this podcast and you're like, okay, I feel like I get that movie now, it's, you have to experience it. It's yeah. like, it, it would be like me describing to you what it would be like to go to like a Christmas dinner, but you have mm, never actually celebrated yes. Christmas and had a Christmas dinner yes, with yes, family. Yes, yes. So uh, you got to, you got to see it. But thanks for being here, uh, discussing, uh, just enduring beauty and great story and and artistic excellence. Uh, we look forward to spending more time with you next time here on Forefront 360. Until then, keep pursuing authentic faith and excellent art. Take care. <laughs>